0: you have your message notes, I want to invite you to pull those out. Uh, God really put something on my heart to teach this Christmas Eve and really want to leave you with something uh, so you can really get the fullness out of the Christmas season. I don't know why it is, but it seems like during the holidays, I don't think we have more problems during the holidays. I just think we feel them more. It's something about the holiday season magnifies what we're going through. And again, one of the things we're trying to do as a church family is put Christ back into the center of it all because if he's the center of Christmas, then you can have the most incredible, merry, joyful Christmas imaginable. Tonight's title is I wish you a Merry Christmas. But it's not M-E-R-R-Y like Mary, it's M-A-R-M-A-R-Y like the Virgin Mary. Because I think there's some things that happen in Mary's life 2,000 years ago. A miracle happened that inside of her 2,000 years ago that I believe God wants to happen inside of each and every one of you tonight. Now, calm down. I'm thinking spiritually, not physically. I don't think anyone's going to have the immaculate conception tonight. But I believe spiritually and symbolically something happened in Mary that God is looking to happen in each and every one of us. You see, Mary conceived the Christ inside of her, and then she carried him for close to nine months as he grew inside of her, and then, he, and then she delivered him to the world through her life. And I believe those three things are what God wants for each and every one of us, that we would conceive Christ inside of us, that we would carry him and allow him to grow within us, and that we would deliver him to the world around us through So I want to jump into the Christmas story tonight. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, the Bible says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. I love how specific this is. To a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord. Is with you now. Let me just say, there's three angels in the Bible mentioned by name. There's the angel Lucifer. We call these the archangels. Lucifer was over worship. He became very prideful, thrown out of heaven, became Satan. He took a third of the angels with him. Then we have the the Archangel Michael. Michael is kind of like heaven's bouncer. Every time you see Michael in the Bible, he's in a fight. He's the one that does all the fighting in the spiritual realms and the heavenly places. And he's kind of what we call the angel over prayer because he's always doing the spiritual battles. And then we have the angel Gabriel. And every time you see the Archangel Gabriel, he's always delivering a message, delivering a word. And I think those three angels tell us a little bit about the Christian life, that God wants us to be people of worship, people of prayer and people of the word. Now let me make a obvious observation out of this story. When you you see this here, it says God sent Gabriel to Nazareth, a very specific place, in the village of Galilee, to a very specific person, Mary. Now I know this is completely obvious, but I really felt somebody here tonight needs to hear this. God knows exactly where you are. I know many people feel like God's abandoned them, like, where is God? My whole world is falling apart. Why isn't God coming through? And if you look at this, it's so specific. I mean, imagine what the Christmas story would have been like if the angel went to the wrong house. I mean, imagine if Gabriel showed up, and thanks, John, imagine if Gabriel showed up, and then all of a sudden, you know, out of the dark, he hears this voice, and it's not Mary's voice. It's a very deep voice that says, no, this isn't Mary, this is Ari." I mean, it would have been a disaster, but the thing is, it's obvious, but somebody needs to understand tonight, God knows where you're at. Let's keep reading. Verse 30, Don't be afraid, he said to Mary. And let me just say, when God speaks to you or puts a word on your heart or sends you a message, there's two ways to receive a message from God, either in fear or in faith. That's why the angel is telling her, don't be afraid of this. Don't don't, don't be afraid of what God is about to do in your life. He says, for you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. I want to give you three observations in your notes. Number one is the conceiving of the miracle. The conceiving of the miracle. There was a point of conception in Mary's life where Christ began living inside of her. And here's the question tonight. What did Mary have to do to conceive this miracle inside of her? Now, I know many people would say, well, Mary didn't have to do anything. This was supernatural. The Holy Spirit came upon her, and she was impregnated with Christ. But that's not true. Mary did have to do something. Let's look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say she was barren. But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I love verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel Left her. That's an incredible statement right there that she made to receive this miracle. When she declared out loud, may everything you have said about me come true. In other words, when God speaks a miracle to you and sends you a message about something he wants to do in your life, you have to receive it by faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, in the Greek, there's two Greek words for word of God. There's the Greek word logos, which is the written word of God. That's the Holy Scripture, the Bible that we have today. And then there's the Greek word rhema, which is the personal word of God. Romans 10, 17 is rhema. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by this personal message from God. You see, Logos, God's word, gives you hope. The Bible tells you what God has the potential and the ability to do in your life. That gives you hope. God can do this. I have hope that God will do this. But when God speaks to you personally, a rhema word, like he sent Mary here in this story, this is what God is specifically going to do, and that's what activates your faith. But you have to choose how you're going to respond to this. And it's very human to be like Mary. It's very human that when the angel first came to her and said, you're gonna be pregnant and you're gonna have a child, to say, you've got the wrong person. I'm a virgin. I've never even been with a man. You're talking to the wrong person. And I think many of us, that happens. God wants to do something in our life. God wants to send a miracle our way. And we feel unworthy. We feel unqualified. We feel like God's got the wrong person. God can't use me. Look at my past. Look at my track record. I don't have the abilities. And we have to receive things by faith. I mean, think about it. When you get a doctor's report, or somebody says something ugly to you, or you have something uh, disparaging remark at work about you, you have to decide how you're going to receive that. You have to decide if you're going to receive it into your life, or if you're going to reject it and receive God's word, God's promise over your life. And here's the key. It was that verse 37. Nothing is impossible with God. Whatever God speaks to you, whatever God shares with you, whatever message he gives you about what he wants to do in your life or miracle, you have to understand nothing is impossible with God and you have to get to the place where you can respond as Mary did and say, may everything you have said about me come true. And if we'll do this, the miracle will not only be conceived in our life, but will begin to grow through us. And I know some of you are saying, well, it was easy for Mary. She had an angel in her house. I mean, it'd be you know if I had an angel if Gabriel came to visit me and was stood in my living room, it would be a little bit easier for me to believe what God wanted to do in my life. Well, let me talk about that for a minute because there is nothing special about the angel. If you in fact if you study this word angel in the Greek, it's the Greek word angelos, which basically the word angel with os at the end, and all it means is a messenger or one who is sent. And what that means is the messenger isn't special It's the person who sends the messenger that is special. It's the message, the word the messenger is delivering. So it's not about the angel, it's about the message. The power for the miracle is in the message or the word, not who the messenger is. In the book of Revelations, chapter 7, we have seven love letters to the churches of Asia Minor, the church of Laodicea, the church of Ephesus. And the beginning of every letter in Revelations reads like this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea or in Ephesus. And again, it's this word angelos, which is just messenger. So many theologians believe these weren't literal Angels they were writing to, but they were the senior pastor of the church in that area. Now I know not every senior pastor is an angel, but some of us are. I mean, I mean, some people are. Don't get hung up on the messenger. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And here's the point. If God wants to speak a word to you, a message that will change your life, it will only change your life if you receive it. What if Mary didn't make that statement? What if Mary would have rejected out of fear this miracle that God wanted to give her? She would have missed the greatest miracle of all time happening through her life. I mean, how many times have we been in a situation, either a church service or a small group or somebody talking to us, and all of a sudden we feel inside, God is speaking to me right now. God is giving me a message right now. You have to decide in that moment if you're going to receive it and if you're going to act upon it. I want to do something real quick just to kind of drill this home so that you can leave and really remember what we talked about tonight. Uh, I want you to find somebody sitting next to you. If, if somebody's left out find a group of group of 3 or 2 or whatever but say to somebody sitting close to you next to you or in your vicinity just look at them right now and say to them god wants to get you pregnant we have a husband over here that just passed out now the reason i'm doing that is i want you to remember this message I somebody's having twins over here. <laughs> I want you to remember this. I want you to leave here tonight knowing God wants to do a miracle through your life. He wants to give you a miracle, but you got to be positioned to listen. Here's the second observation I want to make out of this story it's the carrying of the miracle. We talked about the conceiving or the conception of the miracle. Let's talk about the carrying of the miracle. Because in the Christmas story, many times we talk about the, the, the immaculate conception, the virgin birth. Uh, we talk about the birth of Christ, the stable, the manger. But every mom in here knows that there's nine months in between. And those nine months aren't fun. They're not comfortable. They're not pleasant. It's it's pain. It's everything you can imagine. I remember when my wife was pregnant with my son. If you know my son, he is full-on high energy all the time, and he was like that in the womb. I mean, we would go in for the ultrasounds, and he felt like her ribs was like a jungle gym. I mean, he would grab one rib on one side, and he would stretch his feet out, and you would see his legs stretched all the way out trying to just kind of expand the ribs as much. I mean, he was just always going for it. So if anybody. Has ever been pregnant, women, you can attest to this, men, you have no clue what they're talking about. It's not fun. It's not easy. Mary had to carry this child inside of her for nine months. Let's look at that nine months. In verse 39 of Luke 1, it says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, who was John the Baptist, leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I love that line. You're blessed. Why? Because you believe the Lord is going to do what he said he's going to do. Mary responds, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. This is the Magnificat when she begins to, to praise and magnify the Lord. And she kind of breaks out into spontaneous worship. She says, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me Blessed. Now this word blessed in the Greek means happy. It does not mean that we deitize Mary. It doesn't mean that we pray to Mary or we elevate Mary to the position of Christ. It, that, that was all came from tradition that was passed down but not scriptural. We do honor Mary and we honor her, I believe, for the miracles she allowed to happen in her life. And the way we honor Mary is to allow that same miracle to happen inside of us, to have Christ born in our hearts. And if you want to get technical, Mary actually said, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. She said, whatever my son tells you to do, do it. Jesus is the one that said, I am the only way to the Father. Meaning, you can't get to God through my brothers, you can't get to God through my sisters, you can't get to God through my mom. I am the only way to the Father. Now I want to look at a couple things Mary did during this nine months. The first thing we notice is she got around somebody else that was carrying a miracle. She got around another miracle carrier. She went to her cousin Elizabeth's house because Elizabeth could relate to her and understand. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this probably wasn't the best situation for Mary to be in as an unwed, a virgin, you're pregnant. Now tell me again how you got pregnant. Oh, the, the Holy Spirit came upon you? Yeah, yeah, that's what happened at John's girlfriend too. I mean, can you imagine what she went through? I mean, can you imagine the gossip and the rumors and the, and the criticism every time she went out in public, the stares that she would get from people, just, just can you imagine how painful it must have been for her to, to live with this, this, this miracle inside of her that nobody believed and people were, so she got around somebody that believed her, she got around somebody that was carrying a miracle just like her, and that's the power of the local church. It's the power of small groups. One of the reasons we are so passionate as a church family about small groups is you need to be around other people carrying miracles. You need to be around people growing the same Christ inside of them that you have inside of you. Here's something else Mary does during this nine months. She begins to sing this song of worship to the Lord, this spontaneous worship. And in that is a choice that you have in every situation of life. In every situation that you are dealt with in life, in every circumstance, in every trial, in every problem, in every tragedy that you go through, you have a choice. You can make your circumstances larger or you can make your God larger. Now, we know we can't make God larger, but we can make him larger to us. That's why this song is called the Magnificant. We magnify the Lord. We make God bigger in our hearts because the bigger God gets in our hearts, the smaller the problems and the circumstances we're dealing with are. See, if you'll you'll put all of your energy into thinking about your problems and thinking about your challenges and thinking about the circumstances and the situation, you're magnifying, wherever you put your energy into is what you're magnifying. And if you magnify your problems and you magnify your circumstances, it's going to get you discouraged and down every single time. But if you'll learn the power of worship, that's what Mary does. She begins to worship God. She begins to I magnify the Lord. She begins to make God huge in her heart. That's the power of worship. Worship is getting the right perspective about what you're dealing with. When you begin to cry out, God, you're awesome. God, you're mighty. God, you're powerful. And you begin to realize how awesome your God is and powerful your God is and mighty your God is. Then the situation you're in and the circumstances and the problems begin to fade in comparison to how awesome your God is. She carried him in a worthy manner. We are to carry Christ in a worthy manner. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. We are to lead worthy lives. In Galatians four nineteen, he says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ, Now, listen to this, They will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I want you to understand tonight that those of you that are followers of Christ, Christ is living inside of you. I don't know if you've ever been around a pregnant person. We have many pregnant people in our church. Pregnant people carry themselves differently than non-pregnant people do. A pregnant woman walks differently knowing that she has another life living inside of her than somebody who is not pregnant. A pregnant woman eats differently. A pregnant woman drinks differently. A pregnant woman lives their life differently than people who are not pregnant, that don't have a life living inside of them. Well, could it be possible that we could become ever-conscious that we have somebody living inside of us, growing inside of us. Could it be that we could live a life that we'll walk differently, we'll live differently, we'll carry things out differently, knowing, recognizing we have the life of somebody living and growing Inside of us, that the Lord Jesus Christ, born some 2,000 years ago, born in our hearts, in our spirits, in our soul, growing and living inside of us, that we would carry Him inside of us differently. And then the third observation I want to make we talked about the conception of the miracle, we talked about carrying the miracle. Let's talk about the completion of the miracle. The completion of the miracle. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This is such a wonderful and a beautiful story. We sing songs like we just sang, Silent Night. But how many know it was anything but wonderful? This isn't a beautiful story for Mary and Joseph. I mean, they show up in town. Every hotel is sold out. They can't find anywhere to stay. Somebody gives them a stable where they keep the animals. And the thing you need to know about stables in this time period is they weren't actually buildings. They were caves. They kept the animals in these these caves. Jesus was born in a cave. A manger. A manger is just a fancy Bible word for feeding trough. I mean, I don't know about you, but we have a lot of newborns in our church. I don't see any mom putting their newborn baby in a feeding trough, a a, a trough that the goats and the pigs and the horses and the donkeys are slobbering. Their slobbery faces are in there eating food, and you're going to put your brand-new newborn baby into that? I mean, we make this story so pretty, but it was anything but. This wasn't an easy night. And I love some of the Christmas carols that we sing. Ever heard the Christmas carol? Uh, uh, A child, a child, shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket? I mean, the kid's freezing. He ain't doing nothing with gold. I mean, he's going to catch pneumonia. I mean, some of these songs are so funny that we sing. And here's the point. The reason I say that is when a miracle comes, it doesn't always look the way we want it to look. See, when God brings a miracle to your life, it may not happen the way you want it to happen or the way you think it should happen. I mean, I'm sure Mary, with this angel, Gabriel, the archangel, sitting in her living room, telling her the king, the Messiah, the Redeemer is gonna come through you. I'm sure this young girl had dreams of being a queen mother, living in palaces, being royalty, this miracle didn't happen the way I think she imagined it would happen. Eight days later, they take the child to the temple for circumcision. The reason they had to wait eight days is because the mother uh, after delivery could not go to the temple for seven days, so they circumcised the child on the eighth day. They come to the temple, and here's this character, Simeon. We talked about him this weekend, and he begins to prophesy over the Lord, and he begins to prophesy to Mary, and in verse 34, It says, Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. That doesn't sound like a very comforting prophecy over my newborn baby. But he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. I don't know about you, but I'm sure Mary probably wasn't very comforted from this prophecy. And I'm sure this young girl probably had no idea that 33 years later she would see this son that she delivered to this world, this baby, hang on a cross after being tortured and beaten and whipped to have a spear pierce his side till blood and water flowed. I'm sure she had no idea that the miracle would come the way it came. I'm sure she had ideas of a king and a redeemer and a messiah, the way all the the first century Jews believed that he would come. And yet he comes as this humble baby born in a manger. But if it wasn't for the cross, none of us would be here today. Let me just make one more observation in closing. This is such a beautiful story the Christmas story there's so much symbolism and and meaning that Christ would be conceived in us that we would carry him that we would deliver him to the world through us but I don't know if you've ever had this thought as I was putting this together this week the thought occurred to me you know I'm not like Mary I'm not like Mary Mary was pure Mary was a virgin I haven't always been pure in my life. You know, one of the things that I'm very honest about with our church is I'm shocked that God allows me to be a pastor with my past, the things I've done. I mean, there's nothing in my past that qualifies me to be here today. There are so many things that I regret, so much darkness and just just evil that was in my life for years that I'm not like Mary. I'm not pure. I don't have the background that she had. And then I thought of this verse. It's some scripture that kind of created a polarizing national debate this week. But look at this in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Now look at this list those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I've got some bad news because I made the list like two or three times. And if the Bible ended there, I'd be in trouble. But I thank God there's another verse because verse 11 goes on to say, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You see, because of God's grace, I now qualify to make a different list. And it's not because of me. It's not because I'm a good person. It's not my moral performance or my behavior or how well I obey the Ten Commandments. See, all of that is religion. Religion tells you you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to work really hard. And if you work hard enough, then God will accept you. That's religion. The gospel says you'll never be good enough. So Christ came and he was good on your behalf. So all you have to do is say yes to him and you automatically qualify. You don't qualify because you did anything or you worked hard or you're a good person because, again, none of us will ever be good enough. It's Christ in Christ alone that purifies us. It's Christ in Christ alone that cleanses us. I'll never work long enough or do enough good to, to pay off the past sins I've committed. What he did on the cross covered it completely. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 11, he actually uses a word to describe us that was used to describe the purity of the Virgin Mary. Look at this in chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Now look at this. I promised you, these are the same words used to describe Mary in Luke 1. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband. Christ God qualifies us through the blood of Jesus Christ and what I love about the Christmas story is the fact that our Savior our Redeemer our Messiah over 2,000 years ago was born in the most humble of circumstances born in a cave slept in a manger I mean the filthiest dirtiest environment you can imagine completely unsanitary. And what that tells me is that if our Messiah could be born in a cave, then he can be born in the darkest of hearts. So no matter where you've been in your life, no matter how dark your heart, you feel it is, no matter what sin you've committed, those things that you regret, that you feel like God can never accept you, God can never love you because of certain things you've done in your past. If our Messiah could be born in a cave, he could be born in your heart tonight and completely cleanse you. Could take every sin and make it white as snow. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. He came to be the Savior of the world. And what greater night than Christmas Eve to receive the greatest Christmas gift this world's ever gotten. A baby born 2,000 years ago that can be born in your heart tonight. Jesus told a very good man, Nicodemus, a very good man, a man who lived a very good life. Nicodemus said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, you must be born again. It's not about your good works. It's about saying yes to me. So would you close your eyes for just a moment? I want to give you an opportunity tonight to say yes to Christ, the greatest Christmas gift this world has ever received. Yes, born 2,000 years ago, but available to you tonight. This will be the greatest Christmas gift you'll ever receive. But here's the key, you have to take it. The gift does nothing if you don't take it. I said it here before you tonight. If you don't receive it, it doesn't change your life. You have to receive it. And the way we receive it is we say yes to Christ as our Lord so that he can be our Savior. And let me put it like this. God wants to be number one on your list. If he's not number one on your list, God's not on your list. You don't fit God in to your list as two or three or four. God is holy. He can only accept first place in your life. And, and, and here's, here's the logic of it. Would you want to serve a God that allowed Himself to take second or third in your life? Would that be a God worthy of laying your life down for? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Would you want a God that takes leftovers? Or do you want a God who's awesome and holy and powerful and loving? And here's the thing about God God does not want to be your religion. He is not interested in you being a part of a religion. God wants to be your father. He's building a family and he desperately wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a part of it so bad that we're celebrating Christmas tonight because he sent his son to pay the price for you to be a part of his family. And all you have to do is say yes to him. So I'm going to say a very simple prayer tonight and I'm going to invite you to join me. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come down. We're not going to single you out or embarrass you at all. You don't even have to say this prayer out loud. God can hear your heart. You can pray this in your heart tonight. But with every eye closed, if you need to join me in a prayer of saying yes to God and receiving the greatest Christmas gift you'll ever receive, or maybe you need to come back to God. Maybe you were kind of with God at one point, but you're kind of away from home today and you need to come back, you know who you are. So if you're in either condition, with every eye closed, I'm gonna say a very simple prayer. And if you need to join me, would you just raise your hand and say, I'd like to join you in that prayer tonight. Right now, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. The prayer is simple. You can put your hands down. The first part of the prayer is just say, God, I say yes to you. Just in your own words right now, say, God, I say yes to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. The second part of the prayer is forgiveness. We've all failed. We've all messed up. I'm probably the worst sinner here if you knew my past. We've all had to come to God and say, will you forgive me? And he will absolutely say yes. So would you just right now say, God, will you forgive me? And then the last part of the prayer is just say thank you to him tonight. Would you just say, God, thank you. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I wanna encourage you to do one more thing. You can look up on your connection card. There's two boxes. One says I'm committing my life to Christ. One says I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. I wanna encourage you to check that. You can drop it off in a box as you leave. We wanna know about it so that we can pray for you and support you in that decision. We also have books outside. They're free. It says, now what's great question? I put God first in my life tonight, now what? And then lastly, if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, we'd be so humbled and honored if you would take a copy of the Bible tonight. We have plenty available, and they're free of charge. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, this book will change your life. I wanna encourage you, read Luke 1 and 2 tomorrow. Before you open up presents, you'll have the greatest day if you'll just put Christ first tomorrow. And really celebrate Him before you celebrate anything else. You'll enjoy everything else so much more. Stand with me. We're going to sing one verse of a Christmas carol, and then we're going to be out of here.
1: Come, Oh ye faithful, joyful and triumphant.